TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Good afternoon, sir. Rich, good afternoon to you. What an excellent day. It is How's an excellent day. It's, How are you? I'm well. I'm, uh, I'm in good spirits. Thank you for asking. You're very welcome. Tell us all about today's guest. Very exciting. Well, well, well indeed. Uh, in fact, I think our guest today is right up your alley, you know, given the huge amount of landscaping that's occurred at your property after the bushfires a couple of years ago. There has indeed been quite a bit. Well, our guest today is most famously the landscape architect for the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne and a lecturer of garden design for 25 years at the University of Melbourne. Wow. But he's also the winner of three separate gold medals at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. He has won the Landscape of the Year Award and, and this really impresses me because I reckon it's fantastic that a garden could win this award in the first place. Mm. The 2005 Victoria Tourism Award for the best new tourism development for his work at the Children's Garden in the Royal Botanic Gardens. Fantastic. He's a regular presenter on ABC's Saturday morning gardening program. He's featured in a bunch of other media and he's created the Global Gardens of Peace in the Gaza with Moira Kelly. That's the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip, indeed. Wow. And I certainly reckon we should talk about that at some point. Yeah, it's not something you hear every day. Andrew Laidlaw, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Careers Unplugged. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Rich. Hi, Andrew. Glad, nice to be here. Excellent. So, I mean, that's a, a pretty big wrap there that Stuart's given you. you. You've really got a diverse number of accolades against your name was was gardening something that you wanted to do right from childhood or was it something that you grew into liking or you know were you one of those little kids with his little little uh, spade and was out there helping mum and dad or something as a kid how did you get into it sure look I did grow up uh, both my parents were great gardeners and my dad was a a fanatical gardener and he basically belonged to every gardening club he could get his hands on he was a member of the rhododendron society the rose society um, the alpine society so he was very keen and most of our sundays were spent in either the botanic gardens or up in the hills gardens we lived in melbourne and he was a mad keen um, runner and he would take us out running into these various places and then we'd go off visiting gardens and um, he'd be collecting little bits that he'd come home and propagate and i was always very very impressed because virtually every plant in our garden he grew from a little slip he propagated uh, in his little glass house so i suppose they were the beginnings of of me being a gardener Mm. so um and it was just a thing that even at school, do you, you did you study agriculture or was there was there a step in between? Yes, there's a there's a few steps. And look, when I left, I studied just at uh, Mount Waverley High School, and I got to the end, and all I really had a clear understanding of was that I wanted to do something outside. I wasn't really up for up for going on in a high academic kind of uh, university degree. So I looked at a number of opportunities in the outside work area, and I. Mm. Uh, Applied for a couple of apprenticeships in horticulture 
I, I applied to be a jackaroo up in uh, Daniloquin. Wow. <laughs> and I also applied um, to do horticulture at Burnley in right. the 1979 um, and was actually told that it was very difficult to get into Burnley at that stage because it was you really had to have a few years of experience behind you. Right. Uh, but it was actually really interesting because on Christmas Eve, I'll remember it, uh, I remember it very clearly. I was offered the jackarooing position on a large station up in Daniloquin. So they'd come down and interviewed me, yeah. offered me this job, and I was 17 years old and I was feeling a little bit insecure, I think, and I knocked that back, still hoping that I would get the Burnley um, offer, which didn't come out until sort of January. Mm. Um, so and sometimes I wonder if I'd taken that jackarooing job, what would have happened. But anyway, a month later, I got offered the uh, a gig at the what they called an applied science diploma at Burnley. And so I went along and did that. Fantastic. So, what, so oh, sorry, you street, you go, go on. Go, Richard. What I was going to ask you, uh, you've, you've, you've knocked back something that was certain to take a role at um, or to go for Burnley. Um, what were you thinking? What was, what was your sort of long-distance goal at that early stage? Well, I think with the jackarooing, I was just keen to be outside, and I'd always loved farming, but, I, you know, obviously growing up in the burbs, mm. getting onto the land was always considered a bit difficult. So, And at Burnley, I felt probably just, um, you know, it had a great reputation. I'd gone along to an interview, and I loved the place. I loved the, the sort of park-like environment and the campus there, and I, I just really thought, Yep, I'll, I'll, that's what would be my first preference. And, you know, with horticulture, and it was interesting, I didn't really understand this, but when you get into horticulture, it's very broad. You can either do cropping or you could do amenity horticulture, which was looking after parks and gardens, or you could do landscaping or nursery work. So it wasn't really until I got in there that I then started to understand and develop a little bit of a feel for, for landscaping, which I love straight away. So that was what I was actually going to ask you just before. The term gardening is so broad. And it yes, covers everything yes. from commercial uh, agriculture through to, you know, someone specialising in, in um, developing orchids or, or developing their own type of flower. Yeah. So there's a, a, such a massive spectrum there. How did you navigate through that in the early days? Well, you know, it's interesting, but what I found out about myself, um, Rich, was that I was actually interested in the creative process, and I, I sort of think visually, and um, I mean, that didn't make it any easier for me, but it just made it clear for me to understand that I was really interested in creating gardens, so rather than looking after them or going into nursery production, so I, I was immediately drawn to this idea of, of building gardens, which was more in the landscaping area. Of course, the other thing that happens when you go along to university i met people and i met an interesting guy uh, called john patrick who's been in sort of got a reasonable profile in the gardening world but he was a landscape designer and he sort of took a bit of notice of me and you know when you're at university if a lecturer kind of looks a bit interested in you i i, I was interested in what he'd done in his life and he sort of steered me a little bit towards um once i'd finished burnley he suggested i should go on and do a thing called landscape architecture and that was really about designing not only gardens but designing quite large-scale projects and that's where you get involved in streetscapes and work around hospitals and so it's a it's a bigger scale operation but it was good for me then to feel like after meeting john he sort of empowered me to go on and look further at this area of landscape design and 
the more you study, you then develop. So I wasn't looking at individual garden design as such. I wasn't sort of comparing Japanese gardens with this at that stage. I was just learning so much about this whole area of landscape design. Uh, it was it was exciting and frightening all at the one time. Yeah, I actually but- went through some of the uh, gardens of the rich and famous when I was uh, visiting the United States uh, last year. Huh? And, of course, when you look at these moneyed estates, they had all of those gardens in the one property. They you did. Know, they'd have the Japanese garden area, they'd have the forest area, they'd have the organic area, they'd have, you know, all these different types of garden within the one garden because they were considered rooms. Yeah, and that was very fashionable in the uh, in a certain period or a certain genre of garden design to sort of break it all up and have bits of all around the world at your, at your back door. So you mentioned uh, your lecturer was quite influential was he let's say a mentor to you in that regard of, of yeah definitely he was early an early mentor for me and he encouraged me to go and do landscape architecture and actually also encouraged me to go for my um first job which was with a a, a, a landscape gardener who had a real design flair and he basically got me that job so he he really looked after me in those early years and would, did mentor me absolutely yeah wow that's great so andrew talk about the the transition away you know you finished university you You've you've um, you've learned about landscaping, but your career has gone out in, in a quite a specific direction. Ultimately, what happened yes. after university? Did you where did you how did you end up moving into the botanic gardens, for example? Sure, it's interesting, Stu, because when I left uni, uh, so I did Burnley, and then I was working part time as a gardener and various um, places looking after people's gardens, and then I went and did this other course, landscape architecture, and I continued to work part time with both in landscape construction and with John Patrick, actually, who was running a small design firm. So I was getting lots of experience along the way, but when I finished university. Rather than go into professional practice like a lot of landscape architects would, I chose to go out in a business on my own with three mates and um, we employed about four or five people and we set up a business which was a design and construct business and it was called Timeless Gardens. Okay. And it's very interesting but I learnt a lot. I learnt an enormous amount about building gardens and designing gardens but I missed an important moment, I think, in my career, and I don't regret it. It just made me a different type of person. But I didn't go into that professional practice, so I didn't learn how offices work so well. I um, I really went much more into the practical side initially, and that had some advantages and some disadvantages. But I don't regret that, but it was just interesting that I didn't go into that sort of professional practice scene. So how did you transition out of that then? Did- Um, Well, what I did, and this was again, so I chose to go into my own business, landscape design and construct, and I did that for about four or five years, uh, and then found that I wasn't getting enough design work, and I was doing a lot of brick paving and a lot of, which I don't mind doing, but I was getting to a point where that, that was enough, and so I... I started to suggest that I was going to leave the business and and that was fine. And I went out and started to just try and design the gardens. And I I got quite a lot of work just doing that. Um, And I did that for a number of years and I was starting to teach at Burnley as well. And John Patrick had asked me to go back and teach. But then I saw the job uh, about 15 years ago. I saw the job uh, as the landscape architect for the Royal Botanic Gardens advertised and it was a a moment that I thought, wow, that's that's a great job. And um, 
for some reason, I just thought I'd get that job. So because what I'd done by not going into professional practice, I'd actually really learnt a lot about plants because that was a real interest of mine. So while I hadn't done the professional practicing, I'd really been able to enjoy and understand a lot about the plants and plants that were available in Melbourne and what were good plants. So that gave me a bit of an edge when I actually applied for that job. Is that because you could uh, distinguish yourself from other applicants by yes. your ability to, um, let's say, co-plant, as in, you know, um, complementary planting, that sort yeah. of thing? Yeah, it was, because one of the problems with landscape designers and landscape architects, they come out and they work away, but if they're not if they don't have a genuine interest in plants or haven't been working around plants, it's one of the great gaps in still with these guys that are in professional practice. They don't learn enough about the plants where I'd learnt a lot about plants and the botanic gardens, when they want a landscape designer or architect, they want one with a plant focus. So I guess it just worked for me and, and in some ways that job was meant meant to meant to come my way meant to come my way maybe. Is that is that a, I mean you talk about um, in the media, you talk about a key driver for you is helping other people to to find a connection with the natural world. Um, you know, is that is that really the the combination then of the design part and the knowledge of plants? It is um, because, again, and this has developed over the last uh, number of years, but. I started to realise, particularly with a project like the Children's Garden, but with with a whole range of things going on in the world at the moment, people are becoming less connected to the natural world. And, and in some ways, gardens provides that safe opportunity for real connections to happen with the natural world. And so uh, just through me... Uh, learning lots about plants and understanding how plants survive in a landscape, uh, you know, this opportunity has arisen about children and landscapes and uh, it seems to be really flourishing at the moment. I'm getting an enormous amount of work uh, at this trying to um, present a landscape that is tough enough and, and can hold up with children running all the way through it. But at the same time, it's allowing young children, particularly young children, to find a connection to nature through their play. And, I mean, I don't want to be over complex here, but when children find a safe place and they're in the bush or they're in a garden, they actually get into this amazing creative play, which we've seen, if any of you have got children, I'm sure you possibly have. But yes. when you see them get into their creative play, they're, they just go off in a world of their own and, um, you know, to be doing that in a landscape where they're making connections to the to the natural world is is quite thrilling for me and um, I've sort of fallen into this and, I, and I'm very, very lucky. Have there been distinct turning points? Obviously not becoming a jackaroo is one. <laughs> um, but has there been distinct turning points within, you know, your experience of being a gardener where you've, you, you're just mentioning, you know, creating children's gardens and you know, your relationship sure. with the plants, you know, I'm interested to know, has there been sort of, you know, points where you go, you know, that, that there was a real turning point for me? Yeah, obviously there's been a number of them and, you know, horticulture jackarooing was one, uh, getting the job at the Royal Botanic Gardens was another. Mm. Probably one of the biggest ones, I think, and it, it's, not a, it's not a defined turning point, but at some point in your career, uh, when you're doing something you love, the only thing you've got to bring to that is that you do 
accept that you're quite good at it and, and it's your, about your own confidence. And at some point, uh, my confidence grew enough because I've struggled with my confidence throughout my whole career, really. But there was probably a point about 10 years ago where I really felt, gee, I can really do this and um, and I don't want to be showing off. But there's a point where you have to step up and you have to actually acknowledge that you're pretty good at this and you can bring this to the plate. And once I knew that in myself, I, I felt things have really opened up for me. And so that's quite a, a significant moment. And it's not that I'm out there thinking – I mean that great because I still suffer these moments that I'm feel I'm I'm not brilliant at it. But I but I do realise that um, I I was okay at this and I can do it and I'm gonna do it and I want to do it. How did you come stuff. to realise that, Andrew? You know, was it was it awards feedback from other people or did you just sort of just you know quietly look around one day and say, well, gee whiz, you know, this this is actually very nice in a satisfying way. Yeah, I'm lucky because what I put out in the world, Stu, is something physical. So, um, you know, something like the children's garden, you know, I, I walk past it every day and I see kids playing in it. And so there was a lot of good, obvious feedback for me to take on. And it wasn't like lots of people saying, oh, well done, because I, I wouldn't listen to that. It was actually that just over a bit of time, I realized that what I was doing was 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 okay and it was good. And in fact, it actually looked really, really really good at times no, um, but more importantly kids were actually engaging in this um, this space and people were sort of starting to realize that we needed more of these spaces for, for kids in our landscape so there was a you know there's a few things but by and large I think a bit of it's to do with age and a bit of it's to do with just um, relaxing a little bit in your own skin do you think you know you can only be good at something for so long until people start to notice and that people includes you as well that's right that's exactly right Rich. Um, so i'm interested actually before you got to that place and i mean certainly everyone has doubts and insecurities at different points in their career i think you know it's a fairly safe assessment mm. um when you were let's just say less confident and you know there is that little voice going oh, am i going to be good enough or am i going to make it and you know yeah. however that manifested were there dark times? Were there times when you thought, oh, I've done the wrong thing here, I really should have become a jackaroo or I really <laughs> should have gone into genetically modified seeds or whatever, whatever the, the uh, you know, however that came to yeah. you? Look, uh, there's definitely been times that I've felt it's an incredibly difficult um, and it's not that difficult, but at times when I, my confidence was down, I was just thinking, gosh, you know, I'm really struggling to put out here. Because when you're doing a design, it is a bit like you're living in a fishbowl. So you, you put out there and the whole world, you think the whole world's judging you. They're not. And, you know, let's face it, I'm talking about putting plants together and designing landscapes. Not everybody's that critical of them. But you used to, I used to think everybody would be very critical of them. And it would take me a long time to make decisions. Um, and I would worry. I would worry that I was no good and that this thing was going to fail or just nobody would like it. So all those common sorts of fears. But um, I never once thought I was doing the wrong thing, as in I always would try to – I never thought I wanted to jump out of this um, area I was in. Um, and I, But I used to worry and I would just worry more and then try to fix things if they did go wrong. I don't know. But anyway, I, I never wanted to jump off the – Have you ever – did you find that even though, let's say, in your mind there could have been worry – Yes. You know, I'm worried, oh, what people are going to think, or, you know, is this going to be okay? But actually, your feelings 
uh, about planting and so on was so, you know, I love this, that that sort of helped you get through whatever was going on in your mind. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And, you know, when you listen to other people, and I've been stewing about something all night and staying awake worrying about it and, you know, <laughs> other people didn't even care about it or it was just something they didn't notice or, um, you know, there were – and often when I would – like I made this major stuff up up at the Botanic Gardens um, and it was about – we put this new path in and uh, it was a concrete path and everything in there is bitumen, but we used this special type of concrete. <laughs> I stewed over it and stewed over it, made the decision because you've got to pick the colour and the stone. And when it got laid, I was so worried because I thought I'd really stuffed it up in terms of the shape of it and everything, and I still don't actually like it. But <laughs> nobody else even commented on it. I, I even checked with my boss and he didn't even – mind the way it looked and so i'd worried and worried but really nobody else even cared um so i don't know it's just but it takes a while and then you you get a bit older and you you're a little bit more oh you just get less worried about some of those things i suppose during that during that period i mean so early on you talked about um how john patrick had been a mentor yes did you have other people around you that could fill that role i mean you're, you're stewing over something um you know, does, did someone else get in there and sort of give you a kick up the bum and say, you know, a bit of a wake-up call here, Andrew, just do it or make yeah. a decision or get on with it? Or- yeah. Good good point, Stuart. I think one of my problems is, though, that and one of my little fears was that I didn't ever want to go out to other people. You know, I was always a bit scared of that too. So I probably didn't reach out that much. I mean, I've always had my, my wife and partner who I met doing landscape architecture, Sarah, and I would always bounce my fears and worries off her and she was always a good sounding board to sort of say, oh, look, I don't think anyone would really worry or, you know, change worry. You know, you can fix some things over a bit of time. So uh, so she's always been fantastic like that. Um, but I, I didn't often go out to other people, I must say. I, I do that more now, and on this Project Gaza I'm working on, I've, I've actually invited a, a, a designer in that I... I'm, I think highly of, and he's mentoring. He's always been a bit of a design mentor for me, and now I'm working with him on the Gaza project, which is exciting. So to be involved in these, I'll call high-profile projects. I mean, you know, to win awards, gold medals, and even to be invited to come to Gaza, which which I'd love to hear more about. Um, how important has been goal setting for you in your career? Okay, I don't set goals um, and I don't do that deliberately. I just find that I'm always presented with challenges in my uh, moment-to-moment, day-to-day sort of uh, work. So I, I haven't really ever set goals about wanting to get to a certain point, but I've always trusted that I was heading in the right direction. So mm. particularly in the last, you know, when I've become more confident about who I am and where I'm going. So I, I don't actually set many, many goals at all. Um, but, you know, I find if I'm always putting out there and, and heading in a direction I'm comfortable with, uh, things just arrive quite naturally for me. So I feel very blessed like that. How do you feel that? I mean, do you sort of feel your way or what's the way you use to know that you're heading in the right direction? Well, I just feel if I'm getting, um, you know, by putting yourself out there, I think uh, you get, 
I don't know. I just feel like I'm often given new challenges. So it's not like I'm always designing home gardens and then it becomes easy for me. I'm actually started off designing home gardens. I've got into botanic <laughs> gardens and then I just feel like I've always been presented um, new challenges. And while I'm getting new challenges, I, I'm stimulated and scared and all those things together. So it's uh, it, I've, I've never had to worry about, um, you know, sort of pursuing certain areas to perhaps fulfill certain goals. So I think, you know, to what you, what I'm hearing is that your personal excitement about the challenges is how you're sort of measuring yourself. You go, yeah, that sounds really exciting. That's a really good challenge rather mm. than, oh, yeah, that's that's going to pay a certain amount or, or that's going to uh, increase my status in horticultural worlds or that sort of thing. It's more about... Yeah. Yeah, the enthusiasm for the the job itself. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd I'd share one thing with you. I think Richard, I'm not a I'm not a religious person or, or anything, but because I love what I do, um, I feel like I've attracted work which has presented challenges. But because I genuinely love it, I um, actually that is my work just seems to come to me and I, I feel like, um, and I say this to my children, that if you can find something that there's just a spark of interest in doing, then you will be looked after and there will always be enough. So you won't often have to go out and uh, artificially sort of try to contrive things for either the money or for some sort of status because things will come to you. And I I really feel, unfortunately, not, a, not enough of us uh, – pursue areas that they actually love they get a bit mixed up with having to pursue things because they think they're going to make a lot of money mm. uh, well that's, I've that's been a, very lucky that's a wonderful uh phrase i mean is that is that sort of the golden nugget that you'd also give to someone who's earlier on in their career absolutely and i i just feel we're so misdirected with all these numbers and trying to get into better courses when whatever that means if people can just uh be directed by a spark of interest then the It'll grow and it'll diverge into diverge into areas that they will um, they will find themselves, and I, I really believe that strongly. Even even with that as a as a driver, it's it's really about going in. I'm hearing in your career, you've really just followed your enthusiasm, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, be damned to everything else. If you if you you know you're loving your plants, you're loving what you're doing. Opportunities come because you're just putting out energy and enthusiasm and that's attracted opportunities and the right people including people like john patrick into your life that have helped guide you and create the career that you've you've uh, you've had yeah i think that that sort of sums it up i mean it's not it's not so rosy that there aren't then people that come in and perhaps you know you get I've been working for this client for many years. It's a big job uh, and he's very demanding and in some ways i i've I should have perhaps seen him a bit earlier and let him go because, but again, as your confidence grows, you, you understand when you need to drop some people off that. Uh, So I do find I can be, it's not always all that rosy, but it, it is exactly as you say, Rich, um, that your enthusiasm and your love for something will, will, will drive it and the right people will turn up at the right time. Mm. Andrew, I mean, I I think that, that uh, making a contribution to the world in some way sort of weaves into that. and, And you've certainly done that. Uh, in, on many occasions in your career, um, talk to us about what you're doing in the Gaza Strip and in, and the children's garden that's forthcoming over there. Sure, and look, this was 
uh, I think this paints the picture that we've been talking about. But, um, you know, it's thrilling for me that uh, Moira Kelly, who does this incredible work all around the world, and she's bring, bringing children out of war zones for the last 20 years, and she's been going into the Gaza Strip, which is incredibly broken down society. And she, while she was there, she... Mm was um, off visiting the War Memorial, believe it or not, of all places. And the War Memorial is paid for by the Australian and New Zealand government. And it's the only, literally the only green space in Gaza. And so she came home thinking, gee, if we can pay to get green space for the dead, surely we should be able to build a garden for the living. Um, so she came back to Melbourne and she contacted some land, the landscape industries who gave her my name uh, because of the children's garden. And then she came over and we met and literally she's asked me to be involved in designing a garden for, for Gaza. That's but she's thinking bigger than that. She's thinking Gaza is the first mm-hmm. project, then we'll go on and we'll do we might do Timor or we might do uh, a range of, you know, she spent many years in Bosnia and they have lots of problems over there still. So she's thinking that Gaza will be one and then we'll go on to two, three, four. She's a very visionary person. How do you um, go about putting a project like that together? I mean, who who pays for for it? Well, that's the challenge we've got at the moment, Rich, and I'm at the, I'm working through the design, and there's incredible complex issues around Gaza. I mean, Gaza has four years left of drinking water, and it's a, a major humanitarian crisis that is looming in Gaza. So, for example, all of us building a garden, well, garden needs water. So we've had to look at um, a desal or some form of sustainable water supply there. Well, that in itself is, is just a monster thing to have to do. Um, plant selection, getting materials in there. So we've put a team together, which so I'm looking after the design, but I've, I'm working with a technical man uh, who I've recruited from the Botanic Gardens. Uh, we've got uh, a local Palestinian that is helping us with a lot of things. We've got marketing and we've got business people all involved. Uh, and we think we need around $5 million to build this garden. So we're, we're about to launch that and we're hoping that uh, we'll get people to to give us the money to do it. It's amazing. Look, that is that is a truly amazing project and uh, I really look forward to, to hearing more about that. Um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's about all we've got time for today. Stu, have you got anything to add? Well, uh, look, let's hope that there's some listeners out there that can contribute in some way to that project, Andrew. And, um, you know, I'd I love think that, it's just, just extraordinary. And, and uh, from my part i'm very grateful to have you on the show it's fascinating to to, to talk to you about this and we could talk for for hours to be honest sure. i certainly love uh, going into some of the gardens that i've had the privilege of going into that you've designed so thank you for that too well thank you very much Stu and rich and yeah look if people do want to uh, get involved in the gaza project it's global gardens of peace and i'm there's a website so you just do the www dot thing but uh you know I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and i've never talked to anyone sort of about my career path before so it's uh it's been really enjoyable for me as well uh look i know uh, my wife will love this one because we're, we're pretty keen gardeners but she's even more keen than me um and um i'm sure She's going to ask for your phone number so we can uh, she can pick your brains at some point. Should I be planting this with the bulbs or not? So, so uh, look out for that one. 
uh, to all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Um, We hope the insights provided by Andrew today will help you in your journey. And don't forget to visit makeabigtraining.com to access more about Andrew. Leave comments, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and uh, you can, of course, access a bunch of resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career, and business. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life, career, and business. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.